Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. It's Cassie Gray here and Haley Lucas. Hi and there. We are going to talk today about everything going on in Spain. We have um, purposefully tried not to have a podcast episode as of yet on this topic because it just kept changing and we didn't want it to not be relevant um, for future um, people to listen to later on our our podcast but we also didn't uh, didn't just want to be chiming in with our opinions because we think everybody has opinions we're all probably in line that we all agree in the soccer women's soccer community that it's insane that this is all happening um but we wanted to come out with some solutions so before we do that um Kaylee, do you want to add to let's give a little backstory on what we're talking about you want to give a little backstory on the situation of what i'm talking about um, sure. So um, for anyone that hasn't um, been following effectively, um, there's been a lot of um, warranted backlash related to the French, sorry, excuse me, the Spanish um, Federation president um, inappropriately kissing a player after they won the World Cup. Um, and at first, it seemed like things were being done um, to mitigate the situation and nothing had happened. Fast forward, the Federation um, launched an investigation. The head coach has been fired. And then just today, or what is this, Sunday, September 10th, um, the president uh, has said he will resign, um, which is a big step forward because there was a, a question if that would happen at all. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Thank you for that little spiel. And I think a lot of people are feeling like he should have been fired. He wasn't. He resigned. Um, either way, like, thank goodness he's gone. That's yeah. the whole point of this. We were kind of waiting to see if that was going to pan out. Sadly, it took three weeks, which um, is just horrible. Um, and to be fair, this entire thing has really just been very sad um, that the women in Spain have not really gotten to um, celebrate uh, as they should have been able to, um, having been that they won an amazing World Cup. And to me, that was the the worst part of all of it on top of just the entire situation and, and obviously sexual assault. Um, this is not a new topic for us at Female Footballers to talk about. Around a year ago, we were having the same discussions um, about the NWSL and some of the things coming out at the time um, from the athletic uh, and the Shim situation and all the NWSL coaches and stuff like that. So I think rather than talk about the specifics, the whole point, in my opinion, and maybe even the title of this episode, could be how we need systemic change instead of discussing the source. Um, these sources, whether it's Spain, I don't know if you're all familiar with what's going on in Haiti. I was interviewed recently by an NPR affiliate in Florida about a story they're doing in Haiti with the same situation. Their president or their coach, Jean Bart, has been accused of rape and sexual assault of multiple players. Um, this is happening in, I did my research, 20 of 211 soccer federations in the world, which is 10% of the clubs in FIFA, or excuse me, the, the federations in FIFA. Um, that's uncalled for and, and insane. And these are reported at that just because they're reported does not mean there's an actual open investigation. So um, this is everywhere. And I think my biggest concern is that this is happening at the highest level 
at these national teams around the world. Um, we know it's happening at the college level. What the hell is happening at the youth level? Because that's the least reported on. Um, I know a year ago we did, it was roughly a year ago, we put out a very informal survey on social media and we found about 74% of our following in female footballers had suffered from emotional, verbal, or sexual abuse within our community. That's very high. Um, but again, very informal survey, not not a, a formal way to go about doing it, but hugely eye-opening and scary. And we were given many uh, personal stories from that that we did not share um, due to protecting people's privacy and not knowing enough of the story to really feel like we go into it. But there was a lot of, of messages around um, details in a lot of that, and some of them very close to clubs we work with, which was also really um, scary, just clubs we know of or we have worked with in the past or things like that. So um, just scary. What are your thoughts about the youth level and, and I guess college level and comparing it to the highest level and all that? I think like the, I mean, the survey we put out speaks a lot for those issues, but I think because we don't know, I think the whole point of us doing this podcast is to try to, and really our organization is to try to build strong self-advocates at a young age and help players from the, the foundational level, knowing what the standard should be. Um, and how how players should be treated in a in a recreational sports environment. Um, and so I think kind of coming to solutions and and creating those those changes at that level um, can only help as it grows up, especially like if you're set to a high standard from coaches, from parents, from players of what is appropriate and what is okay, then that player is going to carry that through their college, their collegiate experience, their professional experience, international experience, so that we can hopefully have change at all levels. But most players of soccer play at the youth level. As we see, it gets like smaller and smaller as we go up. So how can we um, set solid standards at that larger scale uh, to hopefully bring about the best change? Yeah, and I think, you know, just so people are clear, our mission at Female Footballers is to educate, engage, and empower female athletes through mental skills, mentorship. And with that goes visibility and representation as women within our sport. It connects all the things that are going on with the female athlete to their mental health and, mel and mental well-being. Um, that includes their physical well-being and all the different things that affect a player in their playing career um, we talk about. And so, like you said, you know, I think a lot of people come at this whole top-down effect, like let's start at the highest level and set the precedent. But what we're seeing and what we've been shouting from the rooftops as a tiny organization trying to get our voices heard is we are seeing it at the lowest levels, the biggest, like you said, the, the largest amount of players playing at the youngest levels. It's there. They learn it. They keep going through the system. The system just gets worse. They're, they basically come to expect it. By the high, at their highest level. And even when they have that platform, it's very scary to speak out. And sometimes it's even things they don't even notice. Like there are many women from my generation who that was just part of the game. And we wouldn't even know to call that out because we just thought that was part of it. And so we decided for the rest of this podcast, rather than 
say what we already all kind of know and feel and how wrong it is, we want to give a couple of possible solutions as to how we, if we had a larger voice and say in some of this, what we would do. So we made a little list and we're going to go through them and um, keep in mind, these are generalized. They are ideas, but in our opinion, we're at the point of let's stop just calling it out and saying how wrong it is and let's start doing something about it and let's get it in front of the people that have the ability to make some of these changes. And we feel like we are one of those organizations and we want to see some change. So the first one is, um, I guess we could start with an overall club, uh, a club system to have in place to address these issues. Um, this came about in the last year or so, we've had multiple people reach out to us saying, you know, we've spoken up and nothing happens, or we speak up and there's a long paper trail and then nothing happens, or we speak up and the club then deems us as a, um, you know, a, a parent who is just causing problems, problematic parent, and they figure out a way to kind of get rid of us and we have to switch clubs or something like that. So our first one is coming up with a way to address issues of abuse in an anonymous way, I guess, to start at least so that it feels a little bit safer. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think it's important. I think uh, a lot of times people don't feel comfortable kind of coming forward, especially if it has their name on it. Um, potential repercussions of that as well, whether it is kind of feeling like an outsider or not having opportunities. Um, so I think it's, a, I think the key point is that opinions and experiences are heard. Um, and this is a, a way that we can do that. Yeah, and I think the more discussion around this, the better, because I think what happens is this is a gray area. A lot of, um, and we'll get into one of the other ones uh, that's connected to this, but the the standards in every club are very, very different. They're very general. They're, they use these really generalized terms about stuff like this, about emotional and verbal abuse. It, like every coach has a different style and that can kind of borderline some of these issues. Um, and in general, I think that uh, anytime a parent speaks up or even gets a group of parents to speak up because no one's listening, they're looked at as the crazy parents. But really like as a parent myself, like I don't feel that I have a lot of power as one voice and I believe in systems, but I also believe in calling out when systems don't work and that that they can be altered and fixed. And I think we're at a total out of place right now where we need to have something in place for an anonymous system within a club, whether it's a tip jar type of thing on a website, whether it's, um, you know, just a formalized way of getting your voice heard within a club system. Um, maybe it's not, be, you know, everybody can go to a board meeting. I don't know if all your board meetings are on Zoom or not, but it's pretty embarrassing, like you said, to try to speak up in front of a group. So anonymous options are the best, but like a follow-up so that they don't just fall into an email that's never looked at, right? So some mm -hmm. sort of anonymous system is one. Second one um, would be a club or team respect agreement. Um, we do these in education and the education system, a respect agreement is four different things. So the first one would be, I'm going to use uh, education terms for this, but um, finding out how student to student should be treated, how kids want to be treated amongst other kids. So that starts at the club level. What is your respect agreement? How your teammates should be talking to each other, treating each other, all that. The second part of the respect agreement is 
uh, student to teacher? How should kids be treating their coach? Um, and making sure the coach is saying like, this is how I want to be treated. Uh, the third one is uh, coach to player. In our case, I think in a, in a, in a um, soccer team or club, you know, um, coach to parent and player kind of. What is the overall, you know, expectations and standards for communication, for treatment, for all that kind of stuff. And then in an education world, there's also treatment of a classroom. So your actual space how you treat the, you know, in a soccer world that can look like your facilities, your your um, field and all that kind of stuff. But those respect agreements are not a part of every club and team. Um, and if they are, they are really hard to find on a website. Sometimes leagues have them. And they're, again, they're really hard to find. They're not front and center. Uh, soccer parenting, I feel like, has tried to implement a lot of this kind of stuff, but not every club agrees with what they do or uses them. So it's very cut and paste. It's just different. You know, it's like everyone's using something different. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I think all of these themes, they they come down to having someone in the club step and say, step up and say, you know, we're going to make this a priority. And this is something that we're going to do to make sure we're taking care of this part of the game because it is an important part of it. And I think even if it's unrelated to like abuse or things like that, I think as like just setting a strong cultural norms of respect um and that part of it and like continuing to develop and even coaches kind of fostering that environment um is important but I think it does take someone to actually monitor and keep these things in place and I think that's often the hardest part is like you said the follow-up and making sure that it actually gets done and that people are are holding themselves to it totally um so that's the second one um a third one which I think the Girls Academy has started this, which is awesome. I don't know about ECNL, um, but a player council to kind of hear issues from youth, a place where players can go and talk about this kind of stuff. Um, I think many girls are aware when something feels uncomfortable in their gut, they know that that didn't feel right. Um, they're often scared to speak up, but if they were educated from a young age as a player, that there was a space for them to anonymously talk about something like this, or there was a system in place for them to put in an email or a text or whatever it may be, they might be more willing. Um, but it, again, it comes about down to like communicating about these things in front of these girls. If you don't tell them that this exists, if you don't normalize that they should be speaking up, they're not going to, they're going to be terrified to. Um, and so if it's more of the don't ask, don't tell thing, then they're never going to speak up. Um, and I think a big part of this is like we do at Female Footballers is that self-advocacy piece. They need an opportunity to talk and not just have their grownups be their voice for them. And it adds to that executive functioning and social emotional learning piece of, of kids these days and how they are lacking some of those abilities because we're always speaking for them. Um, but in the soccer system, we're also just not allowing space for them to speak up themselves anyways. So thoughts on that one? For sure. I think that one's awesome. Um, I was never part of anything like that as a youth player, but I did serve on a leadership council as a Pac-12 student athlete and got to be the voice um, of Cal Berkeley um, to the other schools and to the administration at the Pac-12 level. Um, which was cool as well. So not only are you able to bring the ideas that are um, pressing or concerning to the individual girls, but you're also hopefully if there are leaders within that council, 
that can anonymously say, hey, these are the things that we're seeing and bringing it to the higher level so that people are aware of it. And that really just comes down to, you know, valuing and trusting what these players have to say um, and trying to make that environment for them where they can feel like their voices are heard. Yeah. And for me, I think like we're seeing with the whole Spain thing, everybody's jumped on board with Jenny Hermoso and, and showing solidarity. And I think the, you know, the men's Spanish team, the, the entire Spanish Federation, the entire coaching staff had, had quit except for their main coach, um, Jorge, but then he ended up stepping down or whatnot or firing. Um, but I, I think when you have big groups doing something, it shows that solidarity, it gets stuff done. But what's frustrating is it shouldn't take a bunch of people to step up to make change. It should already, there should be a system in place where those changes can happen. And I think that in order to really get stuff done, I think people will listen to girls who've gone through this because girls are not making this stuff up. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of the time when it comes from a parent, the the parent gets questioned as to, are they just a crazy parent? When really a lot of parents like don't make this stuff up either as a parent. I know like you listen to your kid, you're worried about your kid. I, I know how that feels. So it's, it's tricky. I, again, I've been on both sides of, in a club situation as a, you know, um, coach and things like that. I can understand the weariness, but when it comes from players in a group setting like that, having the ability to speak on things, that's so powerful. Um, okay. So that was the third thing. The fourth one and fifth one are the biggest ones for me. So the fourth one is probably the probably one of the biggest ones that I am an advocate for. And I've talked about this on like every like interview I feel like I've gotten the chance to do or or um session where I get a chance to talk to parents or coaches. But um I don't understand to this day why we think in the soccer world we see someone who was good as a player and we think that they're going to be the best coach. Those things don't always align. And I'm so tired of people and parents seeing the coach who had a glorified soccer career as a player, and they think they're going to be the equally amazing as a coach. Some of those best players are the worst coaches. They Just because you're good at playing soccer does not mean you know how to manage people, and let alone children. And I think that this is the aspect of soccer that irks me the most. It makes me so angry that we are paying a fortune for our kids to play soccer and we're putting them in a very unprofessional environment with very few systems in place to keep them safe and I think that that is insane to me that this is like that I I, ugh, I know I could go on, on but what I'm talking about in all of this is as a coach Yes, you have to know the game of soccer. You need licenses to prove that you know how to coach soccer. But for some reason, none of those licenses include knowledge and ability to teach and coach children's development, their mental and emotional development, which is a huge part of the game. So, my biggest frustration and biggest one on our list is there has to be education for coaches specifically on childhood development starting from age five to age 22 and I think that you have to I think in my opinion just like in the education world there needs to be continual stages where you have to do um, 
like continuous development, um, coaches education um, consistently, you know, like where you're going back to school, taking a course once a year, whatever it is to, to educate yourself on what's going on with kids. A, a coach who has coached for 30 years, awesome. You might have a great reputation. You might be a great coach. Sorry, but unless you have children of your own and are in this world, you have no idea what a kid's world is like right now with social media and phones. Like you, they, you need to take a class on that. And they actually do exist in the education world. So I don't understand why we don't have any of that on the, the coaching in the, in the sports world. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. What are your thoughts on that? No, I think it's interesting, especially because in a coach is a teacher and we put a lot of responsibility on academic teachers who first and foremost, we think of teachers as being someone who teaches us academic subjects, but we put a lot of responsibility on the teacher to also develop the child in a social and emotional learning context. But a lot of that social emotional learning also comes from sports on interacting in teams where that's not really happening in the classroom in the same way. You're challenging and growing different skills that arguably use that social component in a more intense environment, but we're not necessarily preparing um, coaches as teachers in that context, even though they spend a lot of time there every single week. And if you're a coach listening to this or even a parent listening to this and you're thinking, but the sports world is different. It's more casual than an education setting. That's the problem. That's the problem. It's too casual. And this stuff is happening. That's how sexual assault is happening with children in the sport. That's how emotional and verbal abuse get through because it's not professional enough because these coaches are not giving enough supports from the higher up levels. And so if you're a coach listening to this, we have your back. We're not telling you it's your fault. We're saying that the Federation as a whole, the club system in America, they have to come up with better licenses for you so that you are better educated on how to deal with all the crap you're dealing with from parents when parents are pissed that you didn't say the right thing or make the right choice because some of those things you say and do have to do with their social and emotional well-being and not just their physical and technical tactical skill work. So for me, that's probably the biggest one. And what does that look like? Just to give you a little bit more in-depth look at what that means. As an educator in my 16 years of teaching, I had to take four years as an undergrad. I have a BA in childhood development. Now, no, not every teacher got their BA in childhood development. I did, but I took many specific courses and classes on childhood development. Then I had to go to an extra year or two to get my teaching credential. When you go to a teaching credential program, you about half your classes are on the standards of what you'll be teaching the subjects. I had to take classes on how to teach reading, how to educate in math, all those specific um, uh, you know, aspects of school. But then I had to take a whole classes on how to manage children at all ages up to the high school level, how to, um, you know, all the hard things, those executive functioning skills, all, you know, how to help kids manage adversity. Like that's part of your edu your education as a teacher. In the coaches world, for those of you who aren't familiar, the highest level coaching in America is an A license. My husband has his A license. I recently went through all of the paperwork that he came back from. They go away. They're gone for seven to eight days. This was a while ago. It might've changed in the last few years, but he had to get his A license. 
all of the questions, the education from that week is having to go through how to develop a session, a training session for different ages. So really it's about how to come up with a lesson plan for a training session. I had to do that in teaching too, come up with a lesson plan for a day in school. But I had to do way more than that, which is why our system in education, which is totally effed up at times too, it still has more structure within it to add to a level of success that we get through. I, I believe that. I know a lot of people argue with me on that. But I it the system itself has prepared teachers to handle a lot more of the social emotional well-being of kids than the coaching world has i guess i'll say it that way um what i'd like to see i'd like us soccer to come up with a mandatory course within every age group the grassroots and so on and so forth 77 99 11 v 11 and you have to take that course and it builds upon itself within the structure in educating um all the way up, all the way up to the A license. And it looks different at every level and it builds upon itself. Um, I also think United Soccer Coaches has to come up with an equivalent because a lot of coaches don't have to have a United Soccer uh, Federation license. They use the United Soccer Coaches licensing and certificate programs. There needs to be mandatory certificates. Like if you are gonna be a part of United Soccer Coaches, you have to take these courses. Um, and we're far from that. We are far from that right now. There are very few courses on anything like this. Um, they will call them leadership. They are not directly related to helping kids uh, or coaches manage children at young levels. Um, it sometimes is just, what's your leadership style? Which is a start. It's great that there's a start, but there has to be more. Um, I'll, okay. just, I'll just real quick, just also add that you were like, okay, great. Why? Like they might still be wondering why if you're like a coach or um, in soccer and you're, you want to win and that's the goal. I think that this is a huge component of it at the same time, like actually being able to connect with a child and be able to learn how their brain works is very key to getting them to do the things you want them to do on the soccer field. And it may come down to little things such as communication and how you're speaking to them. And maybe you're just not able to connect in that way. Like for me, it in youth level, college, professional, a lot of like tensions and problems on the field with performance of athletes came down to communication, came down to how the social interaction and the emotional environment was and had nothing to do with the skill level of the soccer players. So this part of the game, I think we often forget, like everyone's like, why is this important? It's not just about the well-being and development of the child. Obviously, that's key and we want that, but it's also critical to athletic success. And so if you're solely doing it from the perspective of, I want my team to win more games, it also brings that benefit along with all the other important ones. Absolutely. And as a parent, somebody like me who is a parent of competitive aged playing children, I want coaches who, who like take the time to get to know my kid on top of the winning. I want them to connect. I want them to teach them things and I want them to learn more you don't just learn this generation of kids doesn't just learn things by doing like there's this expectation that they're going to learn a lot of these things just by doing them in today's day and age they need deliberate teaching of things a lot more than we did and I think I've said this on a, few, a previous podcast and I know I said it at coach con for the United Soccer Coaches in my session but um, I use the analogy of Legos 
our generation of as as we were children we played with legos that were like four colors and they came in a box that had no directions and you just used creativity to come up with whatever you wanted to build today's day and age children are given a box that they need to build something very specific there's no creativity and they have to follow directions now that's great and all but you're missing a lot of aspects of development that came from learn by doing and so we were able to to learn by doing, we were doing things differently. So we were getting a lot of these lessons out from the doing. And I would say kids today, their model from a very young age is people doing things for them, setting it up for them. They don't know how to process things the same way as we did when we were kids. And I think they need some more deliberate education on some of the things that we just expect from them. A lot of girls we work with in female footballers get frustrated because their coaches say, you need to be more confident. They don't know how to be more confident. And I think um, there was more space for learning how to be more confident when we were children and the, the system looked different. Um, I still think we could have used a lot more structure, which is why we all say we wish we had this program when we were kids. But anyways, I, I think that's one of the biggest ones for me. So that was four. Um, there's one more. And that is every, in my opinion, and I think yours too, um, not every club does this. They might tell you they do, but I'd be really curious. Every single club or team needs to have the same um, sexual assault training and emotional and verbal abuse training for every person in that club, not just coaches, not just directors, parents on the board, parents in the club. I think everybody should be mandated to do this um, if you are working alongside children. Um, I know some clubs you've use safe sport. We use safe sport for our our group. I know in the education world, I used Keenan uh, online trainings. You have to listen to a course. You have to answer questions like little quizzes and pass with like eighty percent, I think, um, in Keenan. But I think it's it's crazy to me that not every club mandates that, you know, and fingerprinted. Not every club mandates fingerprinting, like. I think I've said this before. My husband took over a club years ago and parents were really upset because he fired a couple of the most well-known coaches and he asked them to leave. And he never really stated this aloud because he was trying to protect their reputation, but he had to fire them because they would not get their fingers printed. He was like, I need to mandate. You have to get your fingers printed. You're working with kids. And they're like, yeah, I'm not doing that. He's like, all right, you're out. You have to, if you're working with children, you get a fingerprinting. Like, it's just insane. And those people ended up fleeing the country years later. Like, it's just, there's a lot of that that happens, you know? So what are your thoughts on that? I have nothing to add. I think you put it nicely. I just think it's, it's baffling that, and personally, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, my club does all of these things. The biggest issue I'm seeing is that the leagues are not doing this. And when I talk about leagues, almost every club in America either as a part of the U.S. club soccer system or the U.S. youth soccer system, or if you're at the higher levels, you're with ECNL, the Girls Academy, MLS Next, whatever it is, all of those different leagues have to implement something. And personally, this is my biggest plea in all of these things, all five of these things. U.S. soccer, to really make the changes that are needed, they have to get involved at the youngest level. They can't just be 14 and up. If we really want to see true systemic changes, they have to start at, at U5, you know, there, there has to be a system from five 
and up. And that's asking a lot, but we're at a spot right now in America where we should be making these changes. We are stagnant. Our national teams are stagnant. Our, um, you know, our pro leagues are not near the top in the world. We need to be better. And if we want to be better, we actually have to make changes and we have to get gritty about it. And really, like, I think we're going to see some bigger changes coming. Like we saw Kate Markgraf uh, is no longer involved in U.S. soccer. I love Cindy Parlay. I hope she stays. But I do think we need we need more. We need more more change. And I'm really hoping with some of these new retirements coming out, like a Megan Rapino, Julie Ertz. I don't know that Julie Ertz is even going to stay within soccer. She'll probably take a long break is my guess. But Pino, I know there's a lot of interest in, in media and stuff like that, but man, we could really use her voice in some of these spaces. I know a lot of people hate her and all of that, but I think she gets shit done, you know? And, and I do think we need that right now. So Thoughts on how to implement any of this? Well, I think it's if you're a parent or a coach, um, bringing this to a board is something to propose at a meeting. I think even just assessing the culture and the climate of the club that you're in and seeing if they're receptive to this sort of thing, I think is a first litmus test of, is this where my child should be? A place that wants to do these kinds of things. Um, and if you are in a position of power at a club saying, how can I, if you're seeing all this stuff going on and it frustrates you and it, and it makes you upset saying, getting a group of parents together or coaches and saying, how can we make a small change? It doesn't have to be you developing an entire program or whatever right off the bat, but maybe it's just coming up with that little um, respect agreement, something that um, is a step in the right direction of how you can um, make the players and the parents and the coaches and everyone um, feel like this is a priority because at the end of the day, it is a sport and we're supposed to be having fun and enjoying it. And a lot of these other elements really take away um, and make the sport a really terrible place to be for some people. Yeah, I, I think if, if I could say anything, I would just tell parents to ask your board, ask your director of coaching what is in place to help educate the coaches at this club um, on the emotional development of kids? What, what do they have to know and do to be working with our children? What are their qualifications in that regard? Rather than caring so much about whether or not they played D1 soccer at a college or played pro, um, you know, maybe find out what, what else do they know about kids? And I know this has happened a lot with some of my personal friends, but sometimes like I would, I would also want to know how do you pair certain coaches with certain age groups? You know, what deems a coach better qualified to work with the eight-year-olds and differently with the 18-year-olds? Is it, are you simply going on their personality or do they have, um, you know, licenses that deem them better? Is there any of it having to do with social, emotional well-being of the kid or is it only solely technical, tactical? Listen to their answers and, and think about that a lot because, we're going to keep having these issues if we don't start changing some of this um, and, and caring about it more. So um, we'll get off our high horse. And I know we kind of went on a little bit in other areas away from sexual assault, but I, I think I'm, I, and I'm so, so much um, supportive of Jenny Hermoso and the situation that went in, in Spain that happened in Spain. But I, for me, I'm tired of, 
of just looking at the scenarios and the sources and the individuals that it's occurring to, uh, that's happening to, because I want change. And focusing on the one person in their 15 minutes of fame who's had a horrible situation happen to them and then let it go. And, and then it happens again four weeks later. Like, let's start looking at the actual system and not just the sources and start really looking at how we can make those changes and not just the people that it's affecting. We do deeply care about them, but just, you know, saying Contigo Jenny isn't going to make enough change. We, we're past that, even though we we are with her. So I don't know, last thoughts. I would just say like um, on our end, what we're doing to kind of help this stuff is I think we're always trying to be better at educating ourselves and our staff to make sure that we're um, walking the talk and basically what we're saying, we're trying to work on internally as well. And then trying to impart these kind of self-advocacy skills on our players. I think at times we see ourselves as a band-aid and kind of trying to um, arm girls with tools to use in these challenging environments. Um, but we are trying to um, better train ourselves and educate ourselves on the inside as well. Absolutely. I think when you know, you know better, you do better. And we're always trying to know better and we'll continue to do better. And, um, and I think that we hope that you all do too. And we thank you so much for listening today. And, um, you know, go back to your club. If you're at the youth level, I know we talked about, about children, but all of this is hugely happening at the collegiate level too. So if you're at that level, um, speak up, ask, you know, what's in place for your own personal development too at the collegiate level. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode and we'll see you later.